We are again looking at the book of Jonah this morning. Um, this will be our fourth look at the, at the book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. He's referred to as a minor prophet, not because his story is less, but because it's a shorter book, right? So he, Jonah takes place in four chapters. It's really two different acts. The first two chapters deal with his running and God really rescuing Jonah. The second will be Jonah's obedience to the call to go to Nineveh and his wrestling with God in that process. And we'll look at that after I return in July. We'll look at the final two chapters. Um, but just to recap, chapter one, where we've spent this, our time, reveals God coming to Jonah and he says, call out against Nineveh, that great city, for their evil has come up before me. And what he's saying, what Jonah hears is God's going to rescue this people. And it shatters Jonah's view, it it unsettles him, and he flees to Tarshish. And what we've been looking at the last few weeks are Jonah's running and God's pursuing him. Okay, and so this week what we're picking up on is chapter 2. At the end of chapter 1, verse 17, where we'll begin, uh, we find that Jonah's, it's the most famous verse, right? It's the fish swallowing up and, and rescuing Jonah from the depths of the sea. And then at the end of our chapter, we'll see the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And chapter two is the space between these events. It's this three-day period where he's in the belly of the fish. So let's read together, starting at verse 17 of chapter one. I've included that, by the way, for the kids. You've got to just hit the fish as often as you can when you're preaching Jonah, right? So here we go. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and, your, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, We praise you for this space, this recounting, this story Jonah tells. He invites us in to this process of turning to you when we've run from you. And I pray as we read and study these short verses, Lord, that we would see more beautifully your love toward us and your invitation for us to press in to you rather than to run. Amen. Um, Theologically, we talk about words like justification and sanctification and glorification. Uh, these are sort of, these aren't sort of, these are stages, right? Justification refers, broadly speaking, to coming to know Jesus, to being a Christian. 
And glorification refers to when we will one day, someday be in heaven and all things will be made new, right? The space between where we live is, is sanctification and the process of sanctification. And what do we do? Um, theologians call this the already and the not yet. And so as we look at Jonah, we're going to see this kind of already, not yet, back and forth, even in this chapter. He's talking about being rescued, and then he's talking about the difficulties of being in the belly, and, and this back and forth. And I think all of our lives, we can sense that, that we, we know that there are moments when we're very aware that we're in the valley, right? And then there are moments when things seem to be going great, and we completely forget there's even sin or the fall, And we long for those moments, but I want us to realize that the normal Christian life includes both the already, that is, we're saved, we have the identity of Christ, right? We are adopted as sons and daughters, we have the longing of heaven, but it includes the not yet. And many of our mistakes come, and Jonah's mistake comes, when we forget that element, when we forget the fact that there is the need for rescue. And so what I love as I've been studying this this book of Jonah and just spending time in it is to see how God is as interested, if not more interested, in rescuing Jonah than he is just rescuing the Ninevites. It's both, right? And what we've seen is Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's really the story of chapter one. He's trying to run from God. He doesn't know that's what he's doing. I don't think he would say that's what he's doing, but that's what he's doing. And God rescues him. And what we're gonna look at this this morning is we're gonna hone in just to remind ourselves where we, what we've looked at. Jonah was running, and I've talked about, and we'll recap with you, the ways that we tend to do that. Last week, we talked about how God sent this storm miraculously and graciously to rescue Jonah. Right? The storm came because of Jonah's sin, but also God's using that storm to bring him back. And now Jonah's in this belly of this fish for three days, with a lot of time to meditate. I don't know how he wrote this in the fish. Like I, don't, I, I picture him lighting a candle and the fish kind of feeling some kind of pain and him trying to scribe this. I don't know. But what I do know is this. We're in that belly. If you're a Christian, we're in that place. We so often want to pretend we're not, but we are. So we're going to look at life in the valley. We're going to talk about point two will be ways we ignore that reality. And then our final thoughts will be how do we live and remember and walk in the valley so that we know our relationship with Jesus. So starting with life in the valley, um, life in this pit, um, it says in verse 2-1, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. So Jonah is in distress. And yet as you read through these words of chapter 2, He also talks about remembering that he's saved and remembering the temple and that God is going to rescue him. And in some places, he's even saying as if it's already taken place. So Jonah, what we find in this chapter, is is sort of zooming, zooming into the fact that there's this space where he's processing the problems of his being in the belly, but yet recognizing he's already in a way been rescued by the fish. Right? The fish was a gracious rescue. Um, I want to draw your attention to verse 7. He says, when my life was fainting away. Um, Calvin talks about the Hebrew word there. And, and quite frankly, John Calvin in his commentary spends like 
seven or eight pages on this chapter, which is amazing. Um, but on the word there for fainting, he just spends some time talking about how it's the soul is rolled up on itself. It's, he quotes Psalm 102, the prayer of the afflicted when he rolled it up on himself in his distress. And when I read that and think about this, I want to say I, my take on Jonah in this chapter is he's not only lamenting and struggling with the problems of being in the fish right then, but I think he's becoming fully aware of the problems of running from God while in this place. Does that make sense? He's, he's becoming aware of the fact that he ran from the presence of God, that his soul had turned in and fainted in. Remember the very beginning uh, of, the, of the chapter one of the story, God has called Jonah to go to Tarshish, and it says in verse three, we've talked about this every week, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All of chapter one is this recounting of Jonah going away from the presence. And I believe in chapter two, now that he's been rescued by this fish that God has sent him, he's in the belly, he's still, and he's realizing my longing was to get away from the Lord. So the valley then for us is coming to that conclusion that we can begin to see the ways we're running from God. We can begin to name the ways this world is harming us or the ways we have harmed ourselves, right? The storms that we've created or the storms that have come because the world has fallen. Um, this, is the, this is something that I think is part of daily life for Christians. Think of Psalm 23. If you were to quote Psalm 23, you would immediately say to the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. It's beautiful. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But a little later, right, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not occasionally when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David is fully aware that this life, this side of heaven, is a way, in a way the valley of the shadow of death, and that's what it looks like. Um, as you know, I've been kind of studying with Dan Allender. Um, there was a lady named Kathy Lorzell, who's like his executive vice president, also teaches, and she created, she loves diagrams. And if you've listened to any of the Adam Young podcasts, you've heard of this diagram, but it's a diagram she calls the U theory, or the U diagram. And imagine a piece of paper, it's a line, it's like a time from one side to the other, but there's this big valley in the middle, okay? And she's saying that the, the typical concept for us is we tend to want to go, when pain comes, when problems come, the valley shows up, we're trying to go over the valley. But she's saying, and I think what scriptures should teach, is that you're really supposed to go down and through the valley. Some of the language she uses, for example, and this is really Dan Allender's language from scripture, is that it, the inciting incidence is shalom is shattered. Something happens in our lives when the way things are supposed to be shalom, peace, flourishing, rightness is shattered. And when that happens, many of us don't know what to do. And that's the question we're really wrestling with. What do you do? And I'm saying with Jonah, we follow his footsteps in chapter two down the valley. But we know in chapter one, what does he do? He tries to go over he tries to get away. He tries to reconnect to God, but he ends up running from God. Um, what happens when Jonah is told 
to go to Nineveh, I think his shalom is shattered. I think in that moment, what his view of God is, was shattered. You remember in, in 2 Kings, when we first meet Jonah in a very short space, he's prophesying under the rule of a very bad king. He's doing the work of the Lord, but his calling was to advance the borders of the nation of Israel. He's a nationalist, right? So for him to be told to go to an alien nation, a foreign country, who's also your enemy, there are some prophets that might have not been a big deal for. For Jonah, that was a particularly dark and dangerous task because his heart doesn't know God is merciful in that way. Like he can't believe that. So it's a shattering moment, right? And so we've been talking about this every week. And so for Jonah, he runs, right? Instead of going down into the U. And what I'm saying to us is we need to begin to process going into the valley. So let's look at chapter two, just a few of the ways we see Jonah later when God forces him into this place. Listen to what he says. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. Jonah's able to begin to process the story. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Right In verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight, and listen to the hope. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Do you hear what's happening? He's having to reform and understand his view of God starts to shape by the fact that he's now in this place where he sees God's mercy applied to him personally. That's what's beginning to shape his heart, his mind, and his vision. Um, as I thought about this idea of the valley, I, I, I went to the Valley of Vision. I, many of you have heard of this book. It's a it's, Someone has taken many great prayers of the Puritans and collected them in the Valley of Vision. It's a very beautiful way to just read their prayers, um, the different topics. But it opens with this prayer. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision." What that writer is chiming into, and I think we see in chapter two, is it's correct, it's right, it's normal to rest in the fact that we need a savior. That's where we're supposed to be, in that valley. That's where we're supposed to dwell. That's where we're supposed to rest. Um, last night, I, I was, had the honor of performing my first wedding in this building. Uh, don't worry, nobody in this room was invited except the Larisons. So no one was left out. Uh, I think the Purdies were somewhat afraid of running out of room, so they didn't know where to start and stop the invite, so they, they, it was all his daughter's friends. But um, when it gets to the homily, which is awkward because I'm standing behind these two really tall people, and there is no stand, but, so I'm just talking to them. I preached from 1 Corinthians 13, right? Every wedding has to have those verses, right? You know the verses, love is patient, love is kind, right? You know, 
the description Paul is giving on love. And one of the things I said was, um, weddings are glorious, so these verses are, are wonderful, but Paul's writing to a community that hates each other, right? There's factions and divisions, which by the way, is how a lot of marriages end up looking. So uh, I didn't quite go there with them. Um, I wanted to stay hopeful, give them one full day of bliss. But I want to draw your attention to what Paul says in verse 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. And I didn't read these yesterday. These aren't part of the fun, right? But listen. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. If that's true, Paul is saying this. I can't fully see Jesus yet. I can't fully see God. I can't fully know him. The life I live on earth is a process of having clarity to the face of God. So when God shows up for Jonah and says, here's something about me you don't know, I'm going to rescue your worst enemy. Jonah is seeing dimly and he chooses to run. Right, that's the valley. He ran, for him, he didn't go into the valley of having to have more clarity and realization that God is different than he thought. He decided to keep God in his own image and run. Toward the end of uh, chapter two, as he's starting to repent, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols for, forsake their hope of steadfast love. How can he not be talking about himself? He is saying, I believe in those words, not these other people. He's saying, I had a false view of God and I ran. Of course, he's talking about those that pay regard to vain idols in actuality, but I think he's admitting the fact that he had lost sight of the steadfast love of the Father. And so the valley is us moving into that posture. Now, in a moment, we'll talk about how to do that, but I want to spend a few moments on what I think we do instead of doing that. If you were to look at Kathy's diagram, um, she has a bunch of words in the middle of the U that are the ways people avoid going into the valley, okay? I think theologically this is exactly what we do, and I've been talking about this through the series. Uh, so the image I'm creating is imagine a tightrope across the valley. I don't want to go down. I want to go across the tightrope. I need a thing to hold on to. Have you ever seen these people that can walk across tightropes and do this? This is what we're trying to do. What are you holding on to? So some words she uses in that list. Uh, dissociation is one. That's a counseling term. Dissociation means, it's in its most clinical sense, kind of the out-of-body experience people have when they're in trauma. So when someone's been highly traumatized, they will often describe it as being away from their body, looking back. It's the body's defense when it's under extreme danger and terror. But the, the word can be applied also to the fact that, like, right now you just zoned out. You know, like, where do you go? You're in a conversation, something gets a little bit painful, and we tend to kind of glaze out and move out. What are we doing? Um, we're following the axiom of my, my grandmother, who her, her mother, married to an alcoholic, told my grandmother growing up, if it's painful, don't look at it. Oh, that'll, that'll, that'll actually serve you very well when you're four. I'm not kidding you. When you're four, you need that. When you're an adult and you start to see sin and God doesn't look like you thought he looked, it doesn't work to dissociate. Other words on the list, uh, addiction, right? 
addiction. Addiction is taking a substance or something that's fine by itself and using it wrongly. Isn't that what Jonah does with Tarshish? I'm certain, I'm certain Tarshish was a pleasant place, right? I bet he had the posters. He had his Tarshish box. But for him, it was sin. Why? Because it was where he was going to go when it was time to run. He had his money. He had the box. And the, you know, in the Bourne movies, when the call comes in, you hit the flip phone and these guys are like sent to the mission, right? Jonah does that to Tarshish. Like the call comes from God, he has his box. What's in your box? Where are you gonna run? Not only that, he falls asleep on the boat. Remember this? Like he's on this boat, it's being tossed so poorly or so badly and dangerously that the people who are used to the ocean and the sea are throwing cargo away. Things that they're paid to bring to the destination are now being thrown away. Jonah's asleep. Dissociation, right? I'm out. I can't handle this. Uh, what are the ways you do that? What are the ways you get across the tightrope? Um, other words on the list would be you have addiction, you have uh, dissociation. I would say this is one. How do you tell your story? How do you think about things? Like how do you, you know, it was just, it was a hard, this was hard. That, like how do we remember difficult things, right? Um, years ago, I came across this paragraph um, in a book on story. And this kind of one paragraph written by a guest writer kind of changed the way I think about my own story forever. I grew up in a home where my parents were divorced. I was one. People ask you about yourself. You have to tell your story over and over. Listen to what she says. After she began to process her story, she said, in the following months and years, I began to rewrite my story. My original version was a chirpy Christianized variant of my parents' telling. It went like this. Yeah, it was kind of bad growing up in a home of divorce, but God was good to me and provided so many teachers and adult friends who provided me nurture and showed me his love. She said, that was nothing more than a sweet fantasy. The reality was that the split which occurred when I was seven left me orphaned, widowed, and exiled all in the short time it took my mother to drive my brother and me the 60 miles from Carleton, Texas, or Carleton, Georgia, to Atlanta. I'm going to read that again. The reality was the split which occurred when I was seven left me orphaned, widowed, and exiled, all in the short time it took my mother to drive my brother and me the 60 miles from Carleton, Georgia, to Atlanta. Oh, I remember reading that and thinking, that's so painful. What do you do with that pain? You run to Jesus, right? What do you do if you tell that story the other way? You stay on the tightrope. You just make it sound easy, right? Just kind of stay up here. And when someone else tells you about their heartbreak, you just say, hey, you're taking that too seriously, brother. It's not as bad as you think, Right? Jonah did that in chapter one, but in chapter two, he actually is facing what really happened. The, re the reality is for him, he had left the presence of God. And so what I wanna do now for the remainder of our time is to give us practical insights from this chapter on not trying to walk over the valley, okay? So how do I know if I'm walking over the valley? Um, we've talked about this, begin to pay attention to the things you use to avoid pain, right? We talked about that. Here's a really good test. How's your prayer life? 
Listen to Jonah. Then Jonah, verse two, chapter two, verse one, prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. That's the first time he prays, right? He's been told to go to Nineveh. He doesn't pray, right? He doesn't pray on the boat. The sailors have him sit down and he's still kind of hoping he'll go unnoticed while the boat's, I guess, doing this. And then they cast lots. I don't know how that works, but it falls on him. He doesn't pray. He just says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, you know, and I know God's doing this because of me. Throw me overboard. I don't hear prayer. It's right here in the belly of the fish. Jonah prayed to the Lord and he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. So all of a sudden, we see with Jonah a partnering, an intimacy, a reconnecting with his heavenly father. He had fleed from the presence of the Lord, chapter one. We hear that several times. And now he's reconnecting and partnering and crying out to the Lord. I love his description um, he goes on to say, you know, you heard me uh, upon, he said, here's what he says. Then again, I, I was driven away from your sight, verse four, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. But in verse seven, he says, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So there's this realization that though he feels isolated, his father, who at the time when in, the, in history we know the temple is, the, is a type of location. We know God exists outside of the temple. But the holiest of holies is a place where you can meet with him and he knows his prayer is there. He felt so far away from there and yet his prayer was being heard in the temple, that partnership, that closeness. How are you praying? And why aren't you praying? Let's look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Like, do you ever just stop and think about, like, what would you do? When's the last time you're at the mall? And you're like, ah, I remembered my wife. Have you ever had that moment happen? Why would you do that? Because you would never say that. When would you say, I remembered my wife? If you're at a bar and a mistress or a woman looks at you, and you go, ah, oh, I remembered my wife, right? I remembered the Lord. Why? Because you've forgotten him. You've run from his presence. You've, you've built your life for the last however long, Jonah, uh, upon getting away from the Lord. So when he says, I remembered the Lord, he is saying, I needed to come back into his presence. So prayer, but he's repenting. He's returning. It's a coming back into the presence of God, this coming back into his uh, bosom and seeing himself in the presence of, Lord, of the Lord. Okay, so prayer. How's your prayer life? Here's, the, here's what we're going to learn from Jonah. Jonah, the entire book of Jonah could have been written very easily with chapter 1, verse 17. And then something in chapter 2 like, he was in the belly of the fish three days. It was really hard. He cried out to God. And then verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out. And then you go into chapter three. That would have been perfectly fine. But we don't have that. We have a psalm, don't we? When you look, we have a poem. We have something he obviously prayed for in the belly of the fish. But later when he was out, had he followed the advice, hey, don't look bad at the past. Don't worry. Don't tell me about the fish. I get it. I don't want to hear. Tell me what you're going to do in Nineveh. He would have never written this. What does he do? He tells the story. 
you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Listen to the language. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed, I'm in verse five, closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, I don't know how this happens, but he's writing this. Weeds are wrapped about my head. The roots of the mountains, like he's so low, he's calling them roots. It's poetic language. Around my head, he says, and then he says, you brought me, I went, I love this line, I went down to the land. What does that mean? He means I was so deep, I'm touching the bottom of the ocean. You can't get lower. And then there were bars on top of me. He's remembering the depth of the pain. Do you hear that? Why? Is it so you and I can know what he went through? Yes, of course. It's so he can know what he went through. See, memory is interesting. I've come across this topic. It's a little philosophical. We're getting close to the end of the sermon, so I apologize. But uh, have you ever heard of the, I almost titled the sermon this, Remembering the Future. Have you ever heard of that concept? It's a weird concept. Uh, let me try it like this. Where are you all going for lunch? Don't, no one's going to tell me, but let's pretend one of you is going to grandma's house. Okay, it's Father's Day, grandma's cooking. I just committed so many faux pas in a sermon because you're all thinking about lunch. Stay with me, don't, diso- don't dissociate, go into the valley with me. If I ask you where you're going in the future and you tell me grandma's, all you're doing is remembering the past. Do you follow what I'm saying to you? You're remembering implicit and explicit memories of what grandma's house is like. We don't know what's gonna happen. You may pull out, someone sideswipes you, you spend the day, at the, at the body shop. We don't know what the future is going to be, but you're remembering it. So God calls us as a part of our sanctification to go into these hard places and remember. Remember freshly. Why are the Hebrews constantly doing this in the Psalms, reciting things they didn't experience as if they were there? They're constantly reciting, you rescued us, you rescued our fathers. We were like, and they're kind of putting themselves in the story. Right? Why do you do that? Because it reminds you of the fact that your memory is not correct without Jesus in it. Okay? When you remember your past and Jesus is not in it and you're a Christian, you're not remembering correctly. And so it's healthy to actually explore, whether it's a recent event or something in the past, explore it under the, under the auspices of God's gracious meta-narrative love for you? And how does this story fit into that? And begin to process and pray that way. So here's Jonah processing what just happened. He's on this beach and he's processing it through the lens of the loving grace and mercy of God. Where does that take? The place in the New Testament that that seems to take place for me is in Philippians 3. So often we'll hear people say this, Paul himself says, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Why do we want to remember the past? What Paul is saying, please hear me, uh, Paul has just told the Philippians, if anyone has a basis for self-righteousness, I have more. And he's laid out all the things that made him self-righteous. 
I mean, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He does what Jonah did on the ship. We talked about that last week. Here's who I am. Here are my identity markers. And what Paul is saying is those things are now rubbish because Jesus is my only identification marker. And so when he says, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on toward what lies ahead, he is saying, so the way I live now is not, hey, I'm a good guy. Look what I've done in the past. Look at my resume. Rather, he's saying, Jesus. That's my identity. In this crazy verse, verse 10, I, wrestle, I, I still wrestle with this. I always will. Paul is talking about I'll start with verse nine, that I would be found in him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my past, the events that I've done, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He's already a Christian. He already knows him. He's saying, but I'm gonna grow the mirror is going to become clearer. Jesus is going to become more real when I enter and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When I go into the belly, when I go into the Saturday, we love Friday, good Friday. We love Easter, Sunday. But what about Saturday? Paul's saying you have to enter that place. You have to go there. We're not looking for trouble. It's everywhere around us. And when the gospel is alive, we will go into it, just like Wes is doing. We will see the struggles in our midst, and we will run in. And that's what Paul's preaching in Philippians 3. And I believe what Jonah is experiencing in chapter 2 is the realization that life with Yahweh, who is much more loving and glorious than he ever knew, is going to take him into the depths of his own soul and equip him for going into the depths of Nineveh, the city that's three days spanned, and preach the gospel. So how do you do that? Remember Jesus. Remember the future, Jesus in the past. Apply the reality of the risen Christ and your being raised with Christ to your story. Right? Understand that you and your father are doing well when someone says, how are you? Try that this week. Let's pray. Jesus, you have rescued us, you have renamed us, you have called us, and we have, the already, or we have the already in our hand. We have it. But Lord, we look around us and we're in the belly of the fish, the not yet. We see the brokenness that we've caused. We see the brokenness that's been done to us. We see the brokenness in the world. Teach us to not try to walk that tightrope. Teach us because of your glorious gospel to go in. Christians rush in, Lord. Help us start with our own stories. Help us look to the people around us that are hurting and listen and lean in. Help us like Wes, uh, minister to the broken and the downtrodden, knowing that we are just as broken and downtrodden apart from you. Lord, we've been rescued because of you. We can actually say, there but for the grace of God goes I, go I, when we see brokenness. Help us have that mindset today. Amen.